You are listening to You Were Made For This, the podcast to help transform your relationships into the best they can be. Welcome to You Were Made For This. If you find yourself wanting more from your relationships, you've come to the right place. Here you'll discover practical principles you can use to experience the life-giving relationships you were made for. And now here's your host, John Sertalic. Hey, thank you, Carol. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode, number 66, where, as always, I'm here to help us consider ways we can find more joy in our relationships, because after all, we were made for this. In the past few episodes, we've been considering the only two questions you need to remember in getting to know someone better, just two questions to ask that will lead to a meaningful conversation with most anyone. Namely, first of all, asking myself, from what I know about this person, what might it be like to be them? And secondly, asking the other person a follow-up question. I don't know about you, but I often learn best by seeing something demonstrated. So that's what we're doing in today's program. I'm going to let you listen in on a recent conversation I had with someone to show what it's like to stretch our curiosity muscles by asking the two questions we've been talking about lately. What might it be like to be them? And follow-up questions. Now, even if this topic doesn't really interest you, I'm pretty sure you'll at least be interested in the story our guest has to share. I've wanted to talk with Maureen Kasdor for eight months or so because of a post she put on Facebook About the time she felt so depressed, she considered ending her life because the emotional pain she was experiencing at the time was so unbearable. Maureen and I go to the same church, but I didn't really know her all that well until we started working together on the search team looking for a new pastor for our congregation several years ago. She put in a lot of work for our team and was always enthusiastic and fun to be around. So when I saw her Facebook post, it stunned me that there was this dark chapter in her life I never would have guessed was part of her story. Well, let's get to the phone call I had prearranged with Maureen. She settled in her three young children so we could talk, and their patience with their mom on the phone isn't going to last forever. So let's get to it. Hello, this is Maureen. Maureen, this is John. How are you? I'm well, thanks, John. <laughs> good. Um, this still a good time to talk? Yes. Yes, everybody is in their corner doing something. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good, good. Well, uh, I have been looking forward to this for so long. I wanted to uh, meet with you in person to uh, talk about your Facebook post from September 11th of last year, but since mm-hmm. um, we're all quarantined, uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, this this will be the next best thing. Okay. Well, anyway, let me just read uh, for our listeners what you wrote, and then I would just like to hear you comment on that. And and uh, I've got some questions. Uh, here's what you wrote uh, on September 11th of 2019. Five and a half years ago, I thought there was no other way. And then there's the hashtag suicide awareness and call this uh, 800 number. And then you wrote available 24 hours every day. 
mercy. Mercy. Tell me what prompted that. Well, uh, the, the post was prompted that day by a reminder that September is National Suicide Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. And I had seen the, um, it was sort of a replicate of something I'd seen on someone else's page of the suicide hotline and wanting to remind people that there is hope and that there is help available. Mm -hmm. I think when I've only been on Facebook now for, I don't know, maybe 18 months. So I'm so late to the game on all of that. Mm -hmm. But um, when I was, feeling suicidal five and a half years before that. So about almost six years ago, I was, I was unaware of the suicide hotline and I was not on social media to, you know, share about it. And if I had known that might have changed some, some things for me, it might've given me, um, you know, hope or help that I needed at that time, Mm. but definitely uh, wanting to make sure that you that people have access to a resource that I am sure is um, excellent and wanting to make sure that they know that there's no stigma and that if I share some of my story, that hopefully it will set somebody else free. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, tell us about your suicidal journey. How How did that start and... How's that going? How's that going now? Sure. Well, when I was, you know, all growing up, I was, I am, I'm still a very happy person. I'm, I would consider myself an extrovert and an optimist. And mm. I did not even have any awareness of depression personally or experience with it. But I did struggle with anxiety in early college and realizing later that that's the opposite side of the same coin. So anxiety and depression share a coin, if you will. And some of us experience one or the other, but that they are both linked. And so I didn't realize that anxiety would later or could later turn into something else. And Mm. so I, um, I had a mostly, you know, low grade anxiety treated with medication occasionally, but seasons certainly where I didn't need it. And after becoming a mother, I was, I was doing okay. I mean, it's a lot to juggle one or two kids (laughs) and the hormones that go with all of that. But, you know, some moderate level of anxiety, I think, is present in everyone as a parent because Mm -hmm. you have no idea (laughs) if they're going to make it by the end of the day sometimes. (laughs) But I think that um, really did set an unfortunate set of circumstances for myself in partly that I was anxious and that I had more of an isolated mentality in my mind about um, relationships with people and, you know, sort of grew up not airing dirty laundry or putting your, you know, taking your personal struggles outside of your home and that you really were more reserved with what was going on in your life. And so I didn't talk to anybody about the anxiety and I didn't, um, I didn't really even share how difficult parenting was partly mm. because I'd left a career and my friends were really at my job and I was less aware of community of moms. Again, I wasn't on social media and I wasn't in a neighborhood that was super populated with young parents. And so I was left a lot of the time alone. And so I just kind of 
dude, you know, a little anxious mom home alone and don't tell people mm. your problems. And yeah. that kind of festered for a while. And then with my third pregnancy, um, I somehow within the first couple months, it just tripped the, you know, flipped the coin and depression started to set in. Mm. Um, partly, I think it had been there probably longer than when we diagnosed it, but it became uh, let's see, some of the symptoms that I was experiencing were some that I didn't know were associated with depression. I was irritable. I was angry. I had a really short temper. Um, and I, you know, felt kind of hopeless, but like frustrated, hopeless, mm. not, not crying all the time. And so I just didn't even understand that that was part of depression, but I had two small children. I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old or 18 months old. And so it was, it was tough to go anyway, because that is tricky age and I have very spirited children. And so during that pregnancy early on, I really started thinking there is no way. I mean, it's, it's January and February in Wisconsin. Everybody has boogers. We can't go anywhere. I'm stuck in this season that I didn't really like very much. And I felt very alone mm. and it's, it sort of spun every day into my husband goes to an office to do a job that he loves and people praise him and he's good at. And I just felt like I was, you know, more hopeless about the situation. Nobody's ever going to leave this house again. I'm mm. going to be stuck with these little people. Um, and that I would not be able to do anything I ever wanted to again. And yeah. so of course that those, um, those cycles of, of thinking, they, they feed on each other and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. And, um, really without realizing how depressed I was, I went to an OB appointment and I hadn't gained any weight and she was concerned. And, um, my husband was going to go on a, on a trip. And I said, I broke down in her office and I just said, I don't want him to go. I can't imagine being left alone with these people. I'm so you know overwhelmed. And she said, I think you might be depressed. And that was the first time anybody had used that word. And I mm. just, and when she, she really unlocked it for me by, by giving a name to what I had been feeling yeah. and the permission to have a, uh, have something significant to, to call it. Not just, oh, I'm a little down, but it, to call it depression, yeah. I knew meant, oh, this is, this is a thing. This is really a thing. I'm not making this up. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to have to do something about it. Yeah. And for me, that really did that really did open things up in a, in a really positive way, because at least at that point I could go home and say, I had a diagnosis. I'm not just a wife who doesn't want you to go on a trip. I'm depressed yeah. and you mm. and I, we have to fix this. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, that was important. But at the same time, my OB didn't, that that's not her area of expertise. And I, she wasn't a great, you know, resource in term other than saying you need to, call somebody to get into therapy and I'll start you on this medication. Mm. And then we kind of left it at that. And I think, you know, when you get a, when you get a sinus infection and you go get a, a Z pack at, at the pharmacy, you're, you know, you're guaranteed a cure within a couple of days. Yeah. If you, if you had that mindset, which I, which is what I did have, I thought that the medication and, you know, was like, Oh yeah, great. We'll be on medication and be out of it. And that wasn't how it worked. And again, trying to 
figure all of those pieces out, therapy and, and medication. Mm. Um, I, I sort of hoped for a quicker fix. Yeah. Um, but it, it didn't, it didn't end overnight. Mm. And I still had the same little people, you know, my situation mm. didn't change. And I had gotten there over a course of months of what we now sort of jokingly call thinking, thinking and getting there <laughs> and uh. still with the same circumstances, it still felt hopeless. And, um, after one really, really rotten attempt to take the kids to the zoo, um, we, you know, I couldn't get the darn stroller out of the car, right? The kids were fussing, everybody was complaining, and we left after 20 minutes. And I was so broken by that experience of I'm failing at everything that has to do with being a grown up, being a mom, being, you know, what I had envisioned it should have been. Mm-hmm. And when expectations and reality don't meet, you're headed for a crisis sometimes. And that was certainly where I was on the way home from that from the zoo, I, I was yelling at the kids in a way that was, I mean, would horrify me now and, Mm. and crying and, and just trying to, I just wanted out of my body, out of my life. I wanted to run away. I wanted to, um, just scream it out and and be done with it. I did not want that to be my life anymore. Mm. And so when I got home, I, um, I was just crazed with, I don't even know what to call it, but emotion and angry and upset. And um, so I, I started thinking, how am I going to get out of this life? And mm. I kept thinking, I'm, I have to get out of this life. I have to get out of this life. It hurts too bad to be here. Because I kept feeling, like I said earlier, I kept feeling like I was failing. Mm. I was feeling the kids, they're screaming. I can't do this particular task I thought I was doing. I'm depressed. I'm a bad wife. I'm, you know, and so when, by, by when the I way, did this, th- those feelings, were they uh, after you started the medication or before or still, still after. after some of them okay. were before, but still after partly because my OB had said later, we really were just spitting in the wind with that dose. Yeah. And I, you know, she and I didn't know what we didn't know, but yeah. that day I put the kids down for nap and I, my, my plan was to swallow the bottle of ibuprofen and just go to sleep mm. and be done. Oh, man. Wow. And, and I was on the bathroom floor and, you know, just sobbing and hurting oh. so badly. I mean, depression hurts both emotionally and, and physically, which, again, is something I didn't know. But, like, it literally hurt to be me at that time. And so my, my plan was to swallow all those pills. And in... I don't know if I have, I don't know how I feel about um, a guardian angel specifically assigned to me, but Mm. in God's mercy, he sent hope and my phone was with me and I texted a girlfriend who lived around the corner and she, I I just texted help and she raced over with her crying toddler and she, she just stopped me and she took care of the situation of kids and calling Mike and calling a friend who was the first responder to come and triage me and sit there with me. And she, you know, she, she said she lived only 17 seconds away. And, um, and she had not been in that house around the corner for more than a year. And in total, they only lived there for three years. And we say we saved each other from various things. God sent us together for just that time. But I definitely felt like, 
God said to send that text and I sent it and I didn't have to do anything else. And, mm. and, and that was, yeah. And I, and I didn't die and I didn't leave my life. Yeah. And I got much more serious, intense, better help. Mm. And I don't have to be there anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, how did how did um, how did your husband respond, and how did your friends respond, and what what did you do next? Yeah, I think, um, well, partly because I think nobody had ever seen me. I said earlier that we didn't really air our, our issues with people. Um, nobody had really seen me as a broken mm. or hurting individual. I lived a you know very magazine esque life in my mind, and I was the Bible study leader and. I didn't want those younger women, perhaps, or maybe more uh, immature in their faith. I didn't want those women to think that that I was falling apart, because then what kind of leader would I be? Mm. And so I didn't tell anybody of those things. But when I finally was so broken, it was like, well, what have I been hiding? What am I holding back? I can't pretend that I'm going to be fine on Tuesday night. Yeah. And so when I shared with them and cried and said, I need help, I need all sorts of help. They were so incredibly gracious and they were, wow. they all sort of said, finally, oh, we knew that you were one of us, but we really needed to know that you also had hurt and that mm-hmm. you needed help too. Cause you're all, you were always the one who had it together and the rest of us felt crummy because we didn't have it all together. Mm-hmm. And so I, I broke down barriers for them and it allowed us to have much truer communion as we moved forward. I was broken and I knew it and they were broken and they knew it. And it was a leveling of, of hurts. And that was huge. Um, and I think for, for them, it allowed them to minister to me, which was an important thing. You can't always be the one taking the meals. Somebody sometimes needs to bring you a meal. Mm -hmm. And that was good for me to be served, um, and to get off my little high horse there. But it was also really hard for some other people. I mean, it's really hard for Mike. Um, like I said, I was very capable. We had we had this life that kept moving, and you know, he was not used to seeing me be incapacitated like that. Yeah. Um, and it was also really scary for him. Mm. He had to worry that if he left, what would he find when he got home? Yeah. So we, you know, we called people. People came and babysat me and the kids. Um, he cleaned out all the medicine cabinets and later told me that he drove around with it in his trunk for three or four months Mm. um, because he didn't, he didn't know what would happen. And um, he was really worried. And, you know, there, he had to ask a lot of hard questions of me that he didn't even want to know the answer to things like, do you think you're going to hurt yourself today? Mm. Or are you, are you safe to be alone today? Or, you know, and having to call every couple hours and check in and make sure we were okay for a yeah. long time. And he, he said, you know, even even until maybe two years ago, even he would say, whenever I called him at the office or texted him, he went into like PTSD of it, where he immediately thought he needed to drop everything and get home. Like I was in an emergent situation every time wow. he heard from me. Wow. And it wasn't that long that I was really that emergent, but he still felt the that fear of, I've got to get home. Something's going on. Mm. Um, and he felt the tension too. You know, he, he needed to be at work yeah. and, um, yeah. he was trying to balance all those things. And 
because as husband and wife, we really are best friends. There was, he couldn't tell me what he was feeling. Mm-hmm. And so he needed to talk to other men. Thankfully, we had some other good godly friends who listened and, um, you know, a mentor couple who listened and he could, he could share there and, um, break down if he needed to and that it was a safe place for him. But it was, it was hard for him. I think, um, you know, he's not an overly emotional guy either. So it was, it was surprising. We learned a lot, Mm -hmm. both of us. Yeah. Uh, I think you mentioned you went for therapy for counseling. Did uh, yes. how, how did that go? And did it just tell me how that went? Yes, I think therapy is amazing. I love therapy. <laughs> I think everybody <laughs> should go to therapy. <laughs> oh, yes. I agree. By there, the way, <laughs> oh, oh, I I just think it was so helpful. Um, mm. While the medication fixed some of it, there was so much more to uncover that I never would have thought about or asked the questions of. And I'm, I would still probably be wrestling with a lot of those things without a name. Mm-hmm. And so going to counseling was great. I remember the first time I sat on this gentleman's couch and I was telling him kind of what was going on in my life that maybe led to this, you know, downspin or whatever. And he said, well, of, co- of course you're depressed. Of course you're overwhelmed. That's craziness, you know, sort of mm. essentially that I, I had expectations on myself that were totally unreal mm-hmm. and, and nowhere to process any of that or freedom to give myself a day off or to mm. recognize that I had missed pieces of, of healthy life, including close girlfriend relationships or mm-hmm. authenticity that I had been missing. And so mm. those were really helpful. Um, and it was from a biblical standpoint. And so that for me meant that he was viewing me through the lens of God, that he saw that I was redeemable mm. <laughs> and Great. that, that the principles of, you know, of mercy and of grace for myself were applicable. And, um, and he was ultimately very encouraging, which helped enormously and, you know, put things in perspective that were, were happening even with my first child, that after leaving a career I loved and was good at, that, you know, he, he said, you, you've been building towards this because there have been a lot of shifts that you have left unaddressed mm. and transitions that you didn't process. And so we need to do that. And so you can appropriately grieve some of those transitions. And mm. that was important and really it, it was it was helpful. Um, yeah. Is it, is, yeah. it, is it, is it, is it fair to say that, that he was able to show you that it wasn't just about the kids and being a young mom with, with three little ones? Um, yes, some and, but he also gave credibility to the fact that circumstances that you can't change can lead to that. Yeah. And that, that I needed to do something because the circumstances weren't going to change. Yeah. And so I think, and also saying not everybody is cut out to do stay at home mom all the time. Very well. Mm-hmm. Some people are just brilliant at it and they do incredible things. I mean, I follow a friend on Facebook and she homeschools five out of her seven kids. And she just mm. did a 10 day cruise around the world to different countries every day with different food and different crafts and different lessons and different music. Jocelyn, oh that's amazing. I love watching it. I want to join the cruise, but I cannot do it like that. How do you do that? Yeah. And I look at her and she says too, 
this is my thing. This is what I'm good at. Hmm. And to say, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not great at that, but I can be great at other things and recognize that the standards for me and God are, you know, he, he knows how much I can handle and what we're going to do with it. And what he expects of me is, is so little in, in grand terms that he's gracious with me. And, um, and mm. then it's okay to not be great at it. Yeah. yeah. Do it with great love, but to not, it's okay if I'm not Mary Poppins every day. Yeah. And to say that I have other gifts yeah. that serve my family or serve the body and that it's okay. Sure. What, what else did you learn from the, from the counseling? How else did that help you to get you through that really dark time? Yeah, I would say definitely about relationships, both relationships with my family that we just, in my family of origin, we didn't talk about things and how that stuffing of emotions really created some of that tension inside of me where you don't tell people about that. You don't talk about that. You don't have time to feel that. I mean, we used to joke and say, well, we just got to keep going. You know, we just pull ourselves up and we just, we're German. That's what we do, you know, (laughs) and just sort of like always, hardworking and you don't Mm. slack off and you don't take a day of rest and you don't, I mean, and Mm -hmm. so some of those patterns of behavior and thinking were not healthy and long-term totally I've, you know, said goodbye to those because they are unsustainable and recognizing that rest is not laziness Mm. um, and, and seeing that as freedom and that I don't have to do it the way my mom and dad did it for it to still be good and right. Yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah. while there were great things that they did, there are some patterns, as, and I'm sure I'm passing to my children too, unintentionally, there are some things that will need to change. Mm. Um, that was helpful, and, and helpful to recognize to, um, you know, have somebody ask questions that I wasn't able to even think of. You know, he would check in on Mike and I. He would check in on me and my friends, and, you know, asking about, you know, responsibilities and helping me, you know, do, you know, sort of chart what was, what was worthwhile and what wasn't. And just a lot of tools um, that I still am grateful for. So it, it helps talk to somebody who knew more than I did for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our podcast is, is really all about relationships and, and can you speak to that component of your story, Maureen, yeah. you know, what role did your relationships uh, have in your, in your journey from where you were to uh, where you are now? Sure. Well, I, I mean, I love my therapist. And when I saw him in public the first time outside of, of our um, meetings, I would just like jump for joy. I was so excited. I was like, oh, I love that man. He's so He's been so good to me. He's been so good in my life. And, you know, I still kind of get like, he's like a celebrity to me because that relationship was so transformative for me. And it was so positive. Um, and I have girlfriends now where it, it's kind of, it's the help kind of signal you can send. You don't have to say much. You, we can show up. And it allowed me to show up later in a much more real way for them to be at their divorce hearing, to be at, at their house when their family is sick, to be with them while their mother is dying, or, what, you know, to be present in a way that mm. is, um, that comes from my own hurt, the empathy I have now, and that, um, it's a judgment-free kind of relationship where before I was very judgy because I believed I had it all together and it was going great. Mm. But the reality was it wasn't and I was falling apart. I just didn't know it. And so 
now that those barriers are down, I can love and say, I don't care if you sob all over me or your snotty kid hugs me. I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not thinking ill of you if you don't have it together either. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want to extend that same grace that, that God gave me that it's okay to just be, and you can just be a mess today and that's okay. Um, and so those relationships, I mean, I, I, I love those girls that I first shared with that. Those are the most gift. uh, Yeah. It's the biggest gift to have that kind of, um, relationship status now. And Mm. so I, I consider those women just true gifts to me. Oh, that's great. Um, and I think, yeah, I think Mike and I, I think we're stronger because it was really hard, but we had to really ask good questions and we have to talk about what keeps us healthy. And mm. I think the ongoing conversation of that for both of us is really good. Mm-hmm. And to be able to say, no, this is what I need right now. This is maybe not, maybe I could be, or in another life should be cleaning the bathrooms, but I'm going to sit right now. Mm-hmm. And that's what I need do and so sort of maintaining some of those healthy um habits and checking in with each other about those has been really helpful and i think giving each other space to develop them you know mike he didn't know exactly what he needed or how to put into words what he needed but once he sort of finds some of them then he'll say actually what i really need is to be outside doing something active so i need to i need to do that today Hmm. and then it helps me understand what he needs to stay healthy and whole. And I can, when he, when he shares it and communicates with me, then I can clearly do something about it. (laughs) I can make some of those things happen or rearrange kids and schedules to honor that. Um, And I think that's, that's important. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, my relationship with my parents based on therapy was really good, uh, but hard first. (laughs) Mm. Nobody, nobody likes to be challenged. And some of my, um, frustrations I had to give words to and they they felt hurtful to them I think at that moment but it actually became catalytic in our family in that mm. my going to therapy and getting healthy and calling out some of these patterns of behavior that I had been in and or that the family cycle had been in really um, they didn't work and they were broken and they were actually breaking us and mm. so it challenged them to go get help and mm-hmm. then to to do therapy and to to walk through some spiritual direction with some wise people and to consider themselves and they studied the Enneagram and trying to know themselves and they went to the Potter's Inn and they tried to know more about what God was doing or places that they needed hurt healed and things that were good about what they brought and maybe could be made better. And so it became catalytic. And and now we have a very, very close relationship and Mm. it wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't gotten healthy. I don't think. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of good has come out of a really, really dark time for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that it's over. I would say that I, I still take medication every day. Mm-hmm. And I and I still have seasons that can be trickier, and mm-hmm. but I'm in managed care. So somebody asks me at the, those appointments, you know, in the fall and in the winter, do we mm-hmm. need to tweak some things? Because when you are stuck at home with kids who can get sick and you they don't go to school and you don't do anything that you wanted to do when days on end feel like that because your circumstances can't change. They still need their mom. I, I have to take medication to help me 
be present to them and and whole for them. I, mm-hmm. You know, the kids sometimes ask, what are you taking medicine for, mom? It's for my brain, really, because mm. I know a lot of healthy habits, but I, I'm not, I'm not sure that the, that the chemicals and the patterns in my brain are rewired yet. And I, that's I a, some people. That's a yeah. really great answer. <laughs> that really is a well, great answer. Yeah. To adults I, too. Yes. Because I, there's too much to lose if I stop taking it right now. Mm-hmm. And my kids need me. Yeah. And I don't want to risk it. Mm-hmm. And so when they're when they need me much less, and I have other ways to manage, it might be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, did you get any reaction from people back last September when you posted that on Facebook? I mean, I frankly was surprised because you know yeah. I I see you at church and yeah. you were the last person I would have thought would have yeah. had suicidal tendencies and, yeah. and uh, my heart just went out to you. And, and, um, and so I'm wondering if you gotten, if you had any other uh, reactions from people uh, when you posted I that. I did. I really did. And, you know, social media has, has, you know, positives and negatives about it. And sometimes people air laundry, they really shouldn't. And I'm not sure if they do it for a, a reaction or whatever, but in this, I really did want to just take down one barrier between me and, the people I know. I mean, I'm mostly only friends with people I know in real life, <laughs> but that they would know that I'm that that if it happened for me, but I'm okay and I'm okay to share it now, that it would be okay if they were struggling that they could share it with me, mm. Mm. and so that they would see. You know, I don't have it all together all the time, yeah. and it's okay. Yeah. And that I've been healed, which is what I would say. You know, I I've experienced tremendous redemption of life after that. Um, A lot of people were surprised. I mean, so many surprises, but also so many people who were deeply concerned and, and felt love for me. I mean, people sent me flowers. I mean, just saying, I'm so glad you're here. Like, I'm glad you're alive. I don't know what we would do without you. Yes. And I didn't mean it as a cry for help, but because it wasn't in a time of crisis for me, it was just, you know, I've been there, yeah. and and if you're there right now, you you don't have to be there alone. Yeah, yeah. It has a, it had the tone for me of of I've I've been in a in a in a bad place, and I'm kind of moving out of that. And there's help yes. for help for you too. Yes. And then the last yes, line, mercy. Oh, I love that mercy. Yeah, because yeah. it was you know everything that comes after that moment where I thought it was over mm-hmm. is mercy. You know, he didn't have to, and he did, and I'm here, and and the help worked because I know there are people who struggle with a variety of mental health disorders for whom help and medication are not working well, or the combination hasn't been reached yet, and that can feel enormously frustrating and probably um, hopeless for some people where they're not quite getting the cure they need. And I I'm so grateful that it worked. Yeah. Yeah, what what advice would you have, Maureen, for for people that uh, that are in the situation that you were in a while back? What what suggestions um, would you have for them? Oh God! <laughs> oh, I mean, the first step is to say something's not right. Mm. I think I need help, mm-hmm. and you just have to say it to one person. And if you don't have that one person, then that suicide hotline is worth it. 
to them because they won't put the phone down until you're safe. Mm. And, and that's important. Or it could be the neighbor around the corner. Mm. Um, and, and that is really huge. And I don't know if they ask um, gentlemen this when you go into the hospital or the doctor's office, but every single time I've been in a hospital or a doctor's office since that time, they always ask several questions, including mental health questions. Do you feel safe at home? Do you feel safe in your relationship? Mm. Um, is there any place where you feel like you're not okay? Um, you know, and so that would have been a moment if somebody had asked me that until my OB did, that was, you know, that, that moment would have been okay to say something's not right. I do need help Yeah. Um, yeah. for anybody listening to And just to say how is enough. There are so many wonderful people who will help. They don't necessarily need to know how, and they don't need to do the whole thing. They mm. just need to be the first responder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and that it's okay to like let people help you. Yeah. And I don't know if it's American or if it was like my mom said, it was just our German roots or if it's a yeah. Midwestern thing. But sometimes we, we just close ourselves off from receiving help. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably a, a pride issue too, but mm-hmm. it's really good to accept help both for the recipient and the giver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, any, any, any last words you, you would have? I mean, I've taken a lot of your time here already this oh. afternoon and, uh, but this has just been fascinating to me. And I, um, I guess what I see, I see, uh, God just all over your story from the time that you were ready to take those pills and, yep. uh, you texted somebody and, and, and then God just surrounded you with people that, that were there to help you. I just think that's very encouraging. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he used the most broken of the people I knew at that point. Mm. I mean, the people who, the gal who lived around the corner, her name is Kristen, and she said later, when you texted me, I was just in the middle of crying at my kitchen table saying, I can't do my day. Mm. Her her family life was in shambles, and she was just really struggling. Mm. And God didn't ask her to do her day. He asked her to do mine. Mm. And wow. that, that was just, um, you know, and then my friend, the first responder, she has been through so many, so many seasons of brokenness and she happened to be in one of amazing, she was close, she was healthy and she could come, but she could speak from places of hurt and need and healthcare. And, but then she went back into seasons of need. And so that was huge that he used these very broken people in the middle of it to show me and to show them. They mm. still had a lot to share. Yeah. Um, and yeah. God was so in orchestrating it that it couldn't have been done more perfectly. My children did not see me on the floor in the bathroom. Oh, and God. they don't remember, you know, people responding like that. And mm-hmm. so, again, there was mercy that he spared them that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Well, we could go on for a long time here, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for your time, Maureen, and for sharing your story and and um, and I'm sure this is going to benefit people. Uh, I, I just I just can feel it that it, it's really going to benefit people. So, thank you for being um, courageous enough to share your story with lots of people from lots of different places around the world, even. So, I, I thank you for that. Yeah, thank you, John, for the opportunity. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks again, and and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now.
Wow, what a story. If you forget everything else, here's the one thing I hope you remember from today's episode. It's this. God often uses the most broken among us to care for us when we are broken. Look for the broken people to help. They get you. Well, what can we do in response to today's show? This episode is first airing in May of 2020. Every year since 1949, May has been designated as National Mental Health Month. One way we can respond to today's program is to ask, what can I do to nurture my own mental health as well as the mental health of others? As an example, we can do what Maureen suggested near the end of our conversation. She said, recognize when things are not right, name it if you can, and ask for help. Maureen said it's okay to ask for help, so don't let your pride get in the way. If you don't have anyone in your life you feel you can ask, call the suicide hotline number anytime, day or night. That number is 800-273-8255. As for nurturing the mental health of others, I suggest let's reflect the character of Jesus in our relationships. Be the kind of person that people are drawn to because of our kindness, our wisdom, our compassion. God uses these kinds of people to help others too just like the broken among us. Often, they are one and the same. As always, another thing you can do is to let me and your fellow listeners know what resonated with you about today's episode. You can share your thoughts in the Leave a Reply box at the bottom of the show notes, or you can send them to me in an email to john at caringforothers.org. Well, in closing, I have more to say about today's episode, but I don't want to take anything away from Maureen's story right now. So we'll save that for next week when I come back and talk about the listening component to today's show. We'll examine more closely how well I did in using the two questions we've been talking about the few episodes. Namely, what might it be like to be, in this case her, what might it be like to be Maureen? and then follow-up questions. I can tell you now, if I were to give myself a grade for how well I listened today, my first thought would be a B-. So please come back next week to catch episode 67. I'll explain my self-evaluation, why I don't deserve an A, and what we can all learn from my mistakes, as well as what went right. Next week, by the way, is the last episode for Season 3. I'll explain what will be happening this summer before Season 4 starts up again, right after Labor Day in September. I hope your thinking was stimulated by today's show, to both reflect and to act, so that you will find the joy that God intends for you through your relationships. Because after all, you were made for this. And now for our relationship quote of the week. I'm going to go with the pivotal moment in Maureen's story where she's lying on her bathroom floor, sobbing, thinking, how am I going to get out of this life? 
Yet God gave her the presence of mind to text a girlfriend who lived 17 seconds down the block these words. Help me. Help me. That's our quote of the week. We all need more help than we realize. Well, that's all for today. See you next week. Goodbye for now.